All right, so, man, it's good to be here with you guys. It's like, I don't live, live for this, but this fellowship is good. I love it. I love it. Genesis 6. Genesis 6 today. We're continuing uh, through Genesis together. Uh, we've been talking about how it's Genesis, God, and man. God and man. As we look at Genesis, we've seen God, and we've seen man, unfortunately. And there's definitely a difference. For anyone out there who thinks that they're a God, I think they need to take a, a better look at themselves. <laughs> and a better look at God. But today we're in uh, Genesis 6, verse 9, and uh, hopefully we'll get through the end of 22. And the title of today's message is, God Said to Noah. God Said to Noah. I wonder what God says to you and me. I think like Kavina shared before, that he loves us unconditionally, that he's got plans for us and purpose. And obviously, the scripture is what God says to us and what God speaks to us. But I think also personally, God is going to speak to you and to me, and I pray that he speaks to us today, that we get a word today for things in our lives, for things that we're going through or maybe facing down the road. You know, he's going to prepare us. You know, there's been many times in my life when something has struck me and I haven't been prepared for it, but I don't think that that's God's fault. You know, because there's been plenty of times that God has warned me when I've been willing to listen. Or he's instructed me, uh, like the psalmist says, in the night seasons. And, and the times when I can't see and I don't know what's going to come, he's given me a word for that. And, uh, whether that's, I need to write my way or watch out, something's coming that's going to hurt. You know, he's faithful. He's not, he doesn't like letting us be blindsided. You know, we have a father who knows what. Um, but we saw earlier in the chapter that God's spirit would not strive with man forever. And I think it's interesting because God the Father called us out. It's almost like, you know, again, don't take this as gospel truth, but I picture it like the Father's looking and seeing the spirit of God, you know, and the triune being of God. And he goes, my spirit's not going to strive with man forever. You know, one day, Holy Spirit's going to say, that's enough. And I've got to do something about it. I've got to do something with what's left over. You know, we saw how God sees that man was wicked all the time. It says that the thoughts and intent of his heart were wicked every moment, every thought, every intent. And, uh, you know, I think we can see that today. It's pretty close. But we saw that God is grieved by it. You know, he's grieved by it and grieved that he made man, that he looks back, he sees how wicked man has become without him, and it grieves him. Like we talked about, I'm sure there's obviously righteous anger involved with judgment, but it, it grieves him. You know, it grieves him that he made man, like, I don't know that he said, you know, I shouldn't have done this. Maybe uh, maybe I made a mistake. I don't think God operates that way. But I think he looks at it and he goes, man, it's not good for them. And now I have to deal with this in this way. It's like when we really have to discipline our children, I'm not joyful about it. You know, if I'm angry, I might go in there and be like, yeah, I'm getting justice. But then that's not the right heart. The right heart is like, man, I have to do this. I have to put you in timeout. I have to spank you. I have to, whatever the case may be, ground you, take away whatever it is in the future. I shouldn't be happy about it, but it grieves me. But I know that I have to do it because it's, number one, the right thing to do. God tells me to do it. He tells me to discipline my children because I love them. But also because for their best interest, they should be disciplined, uh, that that sin might not stay with them. But God calls out that he must destroy man and also the beast of the earth. He, he's going to destroy everything. It's not just man. He's got to destroy everything. But we saw that Noah finds grace in the eyes of God. And I'm going to try this one again. But no ahs were to be found on the earth. No ah for God until Noah. <laughs> I can't get over it. I love it. <laughs> hey, you guys only have to deal with this for a little while. They have to deal with it in their whole lives. <laughs> but sincerely, <laughs> yeah, I love it. It, it grieves me to, <laughs> to pain you so. Uh, but what fills our lives? You know, day to day, what fills it? This past month, this past year, you know, what fills your life today? I don't know what else you have going on today. We know a little bit. What fills it this past month? What have you been up to this past month? You know, physically, spiritually, mentally, you know, what have you been into uh, this past year? You know, what has this past year been like for you? What has it been full of? You know, if you were to dump out the, the spare change container of this past year, you know, would it just, would it be money? Would it be lint? Would it be bills you didn't want to pay, you know, what would be in there? Or our entire lives, maybe. What covers 
you know, our soul? Do we use, or is it just our personality traits? Do we use that, you know, humor as a defense mechanism um, to hide from others what we're really feeling or thinking? Uh, you know, we communicate in memes nowadays, you know, instead of expressing how we really feel, we send a meme. Uh, or from God, you know, do we use these things to hide from God, or are we openly burying everything to Him? You know, there's a song uh, from House Fire, it's called Open Spaces, and it's like, God, let my heart be an open space. You know, like, whatever you're going to say, whatever you're going to do, I want to be open to that. And I think how often we're not open to that, and we cover ourselves because we, we don't want to be open to that, but we need to be. Uh, what direction and path are we ultimately headed down? You know, what's the direction of your life? Is it, is it a narrow path? Is it a hard path? Are we choosing the easier way, the wider way, or are we choosing uh, the way of the few? And my wife and I, uh, well, we were all on vacation, but uh, when the kids were sleeping, we were watching this movie on Netflix called Dead Poets Society, and I'd seen it before, and it's an interesting movie. I mean, it's like, it's deep, but it's only so deep because it's like life is not poetry. But, you know, it's a good movie. I think you could glean a lot from it. I enjoyed it. But they read this one poem by uh, Robert Frost called The Road, uh, the Road Not Taken. And I'm going to read it, and I don't think it's scripture, but I think the last line and the last couple of lines are, are good. It says, two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could, to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other as just as fair, and having, perhaps, the better claim, she's got some poetry going on, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, and leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I ever should come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence, and, and here's... Here's the kicker, I think. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. I think that line sticks out. That has made all the difference. When we look back at the roads we travel in life, you know, which are the ones that make the difference? The ones that I think we were maybe reluctant to take, or maybe were harder to take, or that people thought we couldn't take, or shouldn't take, or didn't take, because maybe we didn't match up to what they thought. But God has a, a, a life and a path for each one of us. When we look back, I think we'll be happy to say that we took the one that he had for us. Let's start in, uh, I say verse 8, but that's not right. Nah, there we go. Thanks. I put it here. <laughs> thanks, Mima. Uh God, thanks again for your word and for the path you have before each one of us. Help us walk in that, and when we come to the end, to look back and know that we've taken the right path, the one that you've given us. And Jesus. So verse 9 says, uh, I'll start at 8, it says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And this is the genealogy of Noah, that Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. You know, we see Noah being the focus of God's grace here, that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, that really he was an able recipient of God's grace. That God was looking over the earth, he sees that men are wicked everywhere, and then he sees Noah, not like he didn't know it, no Noah was there, but he sees Noah, a man who wants to know God, wants to do the right thing, in that sense, he's able to receive from the Lord. Like God says that he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That you know, like The two men praying, the one that went away justified was the man that beat his chest and said, I'm a sinner. God, help me. Like, didn't even have the right words to say, the right scriptural words to say, so to speak, other than, man, I need you, Lord. Um, we were uh, away on vacation, and I stopped to get gas, and somebody asked me for some gas money. And I prayed earlier that night, so I was feeling all spiritual. <laughs> like, is there an opportunity? And so I got him some gas. I was a little scared of him, so I went inside and prepaid. But then I went over there and uh, just asked him if I could pray for him. And he said, sure. So I just prayed for him. And then um, somebody, this girl came around the corner. 
of the other pump. It's like, why did you pray for him? And we ended up getting in this conversation. And the conversation turned into her arguing with me and yelling at me. And he was watching, and I guess her boyfriend came over. And uh, she was just very mad um, that God would create people and know, like if God knows everything, that they would choose hell and go to hell. And she was like mad at God for that. Like how could God be a good God if that's what he does, you know? And it was a good conversation. Um, you know, uh, it was hard, you know. I, you could always do things a million ways better. You know, you need a Monday morning quarterback. But I think the deal was is that, you know, there, I'm sure that there was sin in her life that she was blaming God for, that she felt out of control doing perhaps, or, you know, I don't know her, but God knew her. Uh, but sincerely, God knows the decisions we're going to make. And it, I share with her stuff from Genesis that, you know, it grieved God that man became wicked without him and he had to destroy them. But he gives everyone a choice and he chose you first. He chose you first before you made any of these choices. And yet he knows what choice you're going to make. And yet he loves you. Because if he didn't, if he just said, oh, you're not going to love me, I'm not going to make you, that's not love. That's like I share with my wife. Like, like my wife could leave me at any time. You know, if I locked her up in the basement, that's not love. You know, <laughs> I'm locked up in the basement. I work from home. <laughs> but sincerely, we have to be able recipients of, that God, of God's grace. If we're unwilling to listen to what the scripture says and see it from the perspective of the Bible, you know, we're not going to receive God's grace. If we're unwilling to choose him, well, whose fault is that? That's our fault. But Noah, Noah found grace in the eyes of God, and he chose God. You know, if we, and we want to step back here and look at the family history, the genetic lineage of Noah, you know, that we see a man named Enoch, a man who walked with God. And we see this lineage that goes back, because obviously the Bible shows us this lineage for a reason. Um, you know, we see earlier in the chapter that uh, weird stuff happening with angels and, and women, weird occultic practices that lead to weird offspring. And, and we see that, uh, you know, his, his lineage is free from that. That in it, there's men like Enoch who walk with God and go to heaven and are no more. But we see that Noah was a just man, and uh, he means he was lawful or righteous, so he was doing the right thing. Uh, he was righteous in government, right in one's cause, righteous in conduct and character. The way Noah carried himself, he was an upstanding guy. You know, it doesn't say that he was, it says that he was perfect in his generation, but it doesn't mean that he was perfect in every way. He wouldn't need God. He wouldn't need the grace of God if he was perfect. But he was righteous in his conduct and character. It says that, uh, uh, you know, the righteous fall seven times, but he gets back up again. You know, that's the difference. When we fall, we turn to God, and we get back up again. That was Noah. He knew who God was, and he wanted to live the right way. Um, it also means righteous as justified and vindicated by God. So we see that uh, because Noah sought God, God made him righteous. It's the same with us. We're only righteous because God has made us righteous. We haven't earned in any place with him. But he was a lawful man. You know, Noah did the right things, I think, and I believe because he believed the right things. You know, that our faith dictates our actions. Noah knew who God was, despite what the world was doing. You know, uh, sure, uh, Enoch shared with them at some point. You know, they knew their generations overlapped. They knew who God really was. And Noah believed God, who God really was. And that's why he found grace in God's eyes, because he was in the right place to receive it. You know, it's like, if, if you go to the soda machine, you know, if you want Sprite, don't press the one that says Pepsi. It's like, you want God's grace, you got to go to the one that, where God's grace is coming out. You can't go to Buddha. God's grace is not through Buddha. It's through Jesus. you got to go the right way. And Noah believed the right things, and he did the right things. You know, like it says in James, we've heard this verse a million times, but it says in 2, 17 and 18, even so faith, if it has works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And he goes on and talks about Abraham and Rahab. And he says in verse 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And this is coming from Jesus' half-brother. You have to wonder, you know, the way God uses people and uses their experience and speaks to them by the Holy Spirit. But James lived his whole life, brother, to the Son of God. And he's the one writing about faith and works. That he thought he had faith. He thought he had works. And yet God was right in front of him his whole life. And he says that, if you really have faith, it's going to work itself out in your life. And if you really have true spiritual works, it's based on faith. It's based on right belief. 
It says that Noah was perfect in his generations, that he was complete, he was whole, entire, and sound, uh, wholesome, unimpaired, having integrity, innocent, uh, and also what is complete and entirely in accord with truth and fact. You know, he believed the right things, and he did the right things, but perhaps Noah was also in physical form in the right way. You know, we see that obviously uh, angels are coming down and having relations with women, and there's weird offspring, and it's like, well, I don't know if you want that to carry on. I don't know if you want one of those on the boat. I think we want to kill those. And Noah didn't have any of that, you know, if we're going to look at it in that way, um, like I've heard it said before. But with that, there's no real room for racism. Uh, we're, people would argue with me, but I say that we're one race. We're the human race, and we just have different flavors. You know, yeah, maybe there's different, you know, cultures and different families and groups that grew, but we're all people, you know, like, all the same blood types within a range, you know, the difference between us and animals and DNA is huge, but the difference between us and DNA is minuscule, you know, we're all one people. And we obviously get all the colors and creeds and nations and tongues and sizes and shapes through Noah and through his children, through his son, Shem, Ham, and Japheth and their wives and their wives. You know, yeah, we're all related to Adam, but it came through here. And if God says that Noah is perfect in these ways, and we all came through him, and that's it. That's it. You know, I looked at seeing the wedding yesterday, you know, and 50, 60 years ago, that might not have been allowed. You know, there, you know and, and it's a right thing. And people today try and take wrong things like homosexual marriage, and they try to apply it to things where, uh, you know, a person of one color marries a person of another color. And it's not the same. It's not the same. We're all one people. We're all going to be in heaven. In fact, it's like, you know, my wife and I even are the same color. You know, we're the similar hues, but, you know, we look at our kids, you know, I'm not going to give them all that, but we're all descended from Noah. We're all one people. And I think we need to have that perspective especially in this day and age when the world wants to divide us and say that we're different or that one's better than the other. We're not better than the other. Uh, like Genesis 1, 2, and 3 here, we get a different perspective in these four verses. We saw in Genesis different perspectives of creation. We see here, it skips, you know, we're reading 6, and then it goes here, and then we continue on in 6. We get this side perspective of Noah. And we're shown who Noah is. And we're shown that he has children during the time that the earth goes completely corrupt. And I don't know if Noah knew that the flood was coming, you know, until God told him. I want, you know, would he still have had kids? I don't know. I mean, I think so, because he's a just man. But I think of our children today. And we're having kids today, and we're seeing how fast the world is getting corrupt. You know, we look at the time from when we grew up, or when we were in high school, and, you know, it's exponential, the difference, from, you know, the brief time I've been out of school to now. Um, and yet we still have our children. And I'm glad we have our children. I want to raise them in the right way in these corrupt days. You know, we were talk I was talking with a lady uh, at our table at the wedding about our kids and about different worlds and the world of finance and some of these people that spend all this money and just how everyone lives in all these different worlds, you know, and just how money, she was, she's like, money really controls everything. We just look, you know, that's why the decisions are made that they're made. It's always, it's always money. But with that, you know, with this spirit that's in the world, we really are living in the last days. We really are. And when you look around, you read the news, you just read the Bible, even, you, how could there be any doubt that this is the last days? I mean, I know that they've been saying that since the times of old, you know, but, it's, you know, like Peter says, it's God's slack. You know, there's no doubt. We are living in the Bible. You know, we so often want to be in the Bible. Oh, wouldn't it be great to be in Abraham's time or be in Jesus' time and be one of the disciples? But well, we're in the Bible. We're just closer to the end. You know, we're not in the last days so much where it's a tribulation. But I believe it's right before that. And even if it's 50 years from now, which I don't believe it will be, give me a break. <laughs> That's the last days. It's not that far away. I think it's going to be a lot sooner than that. I think if it doesn't happen in my day, it'll happen in my children's day. But I think, I believe it'll happen in my day. I, I expect to either, yeah, I expect to be raptured. And I think we all should be, even if I'm wrong, and that happens quite a lot. We should still live that way, because we need to. Another line from the movie was carpe diem. You know, in Latin, it means seize the day. 
And watching the movie, I'm like, was that the Roman equivalent of YOLO? You know, but he's got, he's got, the teacher has his students, and he's like an unconventional teacher. And one of the first classes, he brings them out in the hallway, and he shows them the picture of the students that came before them. It's all like black and white photos. They're all like posing for football and stuff. I don't know if you remember, I, if you've gone back to your high school and you see like old classes and look at them and stuff, it's kind of funny. Uh, but he says, lean in close. You know, they look like you. They had the same dreams and goals you did, but lean in close. What are they saying? He goes, it's like this whole scene, you know, through the movie of Carpe Diem. But really what he's saying is like to seize the day. You know, that you have these hopes and dreams, you have these abilities, you're in this, you have this opportunity to get this education. Seize the day in it. And I think that that's good advice. It's worldly advice. It's good advice. You know, we want to think about the future. But really, we need to seize the day. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming soon. And we need to seize that. We need to walk in that. Because when he comes back, you know, it's like if Jesus shows up in 10 minutes, and I hope... I think we're all praying that, so this could be over. But he shows up in 10 minutes. What are we really going to do? Like, James and I were talking the other night. Like, man, if we knew that the Lord was coming back in six hours, we'd stop hanging out. We'd start go banging on doors. You go that way. I'll go this way. Start sharing the gospel with no problem. You know, obviously, we, we want to do that today, but in a tempered way, so we don't come off like the rest of the world, which is crazy, you know? We're crazy enough. We don't need to be extra crazy. <laughs> but sincerely, you know, as time comes, we need to be willing to do that. You know, when you're on a plane and it's, you know, I'm like, well, if it goes down, do I stand up? You know, <laughs> what do I do, you know? Um, but can I do that with the mask on? I don't know. But sincerely, I think we need to do that. And I think Noah was doing that. Noah was seizing his day. Despite what the world was doing, he was going his way. It says that the earth was also corrupt before God. That spoil, uh, ruin, decay, uh, it means to pervert or deal corruptly, moral or immoral, amoral. That it was corrupt before God. The whole earth had become corrupt. It wasn't just man, it wasn't just beast, but everything was corrupted before God. And again, I have to say, it's like, it's too easy to make this connection. I have to make it, but is this not our day? I mean, look at the corruption of the election, of the politics. Look at the corruption of the media, of the world, of businesses. These guys, that's, these leaders in this, uh, was it Equifax? that sell these shares of, of their company um, a couple months ago, and it just comes out now that 127 million uh, Americans, social security numbers, birthdays, uh, uh, all this like credit information has been leaked, and they now let it out, and yet they sold stock months ago. They knew, and now it's like this big thing, like, like I have to go online later, and we should all check and, and find out and put holds on our credit reports and other things, because 127 million, that's like half of America's population, a little less, is now in the hands of probably some Chinese hacker or some kid in some basement, you know, in Colorado, I don't know. But that's like, that's your life. That's my life, and it's gone. And what do they do? They sell stocks so we can get out of here <laughs> and before the company crashes. That's correct. Or before God, you know, but before God. And I think that this is important to remember that all this happens well within God's sight. Like God's up there, he's down there, but he sees it. Wherever he is, he sees it. He can't, he's God, he sees everything, he knows everything. He's well aware of it. He's not oblivious to it. I think so often we think God's oblivious to these things, but he's not. He sees it all. He knows it all. One day, it's all going to be brought into judgment. You know, Psalm 82 uh, asks uh, the readers and asks, you know, basically Israel, how long will you judge unjustly? Like, how long are you going to walk around judging things in the matter that God doesn't judge things? And you're God's people. Like, get your act together and start realizing that we need to look at things the right way and the wrong, you know, between the right way and the wrong way. We need to judge things as God's judged things. And, and not that we bring judgment and rise up, like, in some crusade, you know, some military crusade, but that we would look on our own lives and on the world and say, there is right and there is wrong. Ecclesiastes 9.12 says, For man also knows not his time, as the fishes that are taken in an evil net, and as the birds that are caught in a snare. So are the sons of men snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. That we need to look around and say, this is an evil time. If we don't realize that we're living in an evil time, the evil time is going to overtake us. It's like the hurricane coming to Florida. You know, they're watching all these tracks, running all these computer models, setting up evacuations, and then telling other people to be ready to evacuate. I've got some family down there, and they had to evacuate last minute because the storm changed its track. The storm didn't change the track. They just finally saw what the track of the storm was actually going to be. 
But, you know, let's not get all metaphysical on it. But sincerely, you know, they had to move. Imagine if no one was paying attention to the weather report. Imagine if we didn't have these things. It's like in the old days, it's like, I saw pictures in Miami like the day before it was, I guess it was yesterday, and it was like beautiful out. You'd have no idea that the, one of the largest storms ever recorded, the largest storm ever recorded in the Atlantic is on its way. And you're just, oh, beautiful day outside right now. Um, so let's not be snared in that. But God looked on the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. You know, when God sees something, and God says something about it, it's pretty right. You know, we shouldn't second guess it in that sense. You know, but I think it's interesting that God, again, always wants a second look, a closer look, personal inspection. God, yes, you know, thinking about God on the throne, he's on the throne and he sees things, and he knows what's going on, and he's all-knowing. Um, but yet, he still kind of wants to go down. Like Sodom and Gomorrah, he goes down, he runs into Abraham with his two angels, and then they go into Sodom, and it's obviously corrupt, and the angels get a lot out. Um, Tower of Babel, God sees what's going on. He has to go down and confuse their language. You know, he's personally involved in these things. Um, Adam and Eve, even, he knew what was going on. And he goes down and personally deals with their sin and, and says that, and personally makes them a covering. We also see that here, that God sees that the world is corrupt, and yet he's going to go down for a closer inspection. You know, he's not just some bureaucrat in, in a faraway land that makes a decision and a ruling without being personally intimate with the situation. We see that the work, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives in the world, in John 16, it talks about, uh, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, Jesus says. For if I do not go away, the Comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. You know, that the Holy Spirit is work right now is judging people, is bringing conviction to people. Um, he's inspecting their, our lives personally. You know, God is the one who's pursued us. God is the one who brought us to him by the Holy Spirit. He's convicted us, and that's what brought us to the Lord. Um, you know, he wants us to get out of the path of impending judgment, whether that's in immediate things, you know, how many times you've been driving and you go to turn and you know that somehow you didn't make the turn or you didn't run into the guy next to you. You know that there's some spiritual thing going on there. But also as we spend time with the Lord and immediate things, he's like, I don't want you to be involved in that relationship or I want you to, to do this or that or you read the Bible and you get convicted about something and you change your decision for the day. Um, you know, I remember um, in college, uh, some friend was going to go to the city for a job interview and something happened and you didn't go and that was the morning of 9-11. It's like, for some reason, I'm sure it's God's hand in his life to protect him without him even knowing it. Um, but things of that nature. God doesn't want that judgment to come in our lives until we've received him, until we've received his payment for that judgment. I mean, that's why he's, he hasn't come back yet. But also lifelong things and eternal things. God does not want us to, God wants us to stay away from sin because it brings judgment and penalty in our life. You know, in, in this life, you know, you do drugs for a certain amount of time, you're probably going to be messed up or... Maybe you'll end up in jail or any of these things that God doesn't want you to be involved in. But more importantly, he doesn't want you to be eternally punished for the judgment. He wants to give opportunity to everyone to be out of that judgment. That's why the Holy Spirit is, is going crazy, for lack of a better term, trying to get everyone's attention. But we don't listen. We pass it off. We, we turn um, a blind eye to it. You know, Proverbs 22.3 in the, the non-living translation <laughs> says, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. But the simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. That God wants us to be aware of the world. God wants us to be aware of the reality of sin and take precaution to that. For physical things, for spiritual things, for emotional things, you know, we need to guard our heart because out of it flow the wellspring of life. You know, we want to make sure we're not letting certain things in or certain feelings or emotions in that shouldn't be there from the wrong people or, you know, not that the person is wrong, but maybe they're just not your spouse or whatever. But what does it say? It says the simple during the fool goes blindly on, suffers the consequences that, oh, yeah, I don't need to worry about that. I don't need to do that. You know, I think, again, this hurricane analogy, like people in Florida, I'm not saying that everyone needs to have 800 gallons of gas in your house. I'd love that if I had a you know, property <laughs> tank and, and a need for that. I remember buying all this gas store and stuff. Go bless you. Because it was on sale, and the guy at AutoZone was like, how much gas are you storing? 
like, I don't know, this one was just cheaper because it was on sale. Like, I, I don't have 50 gallons. I mean, you know, I just had a couple gallons for, you know, in case we needed to go somewhere or to run the lawnmower. But we don't want to suffer that consequence. These people in the hurricane, they can't get out because there's no more gas in Florida. The stores are empty with food. Imagine if you didn't go to the store and then all of a sudden you find out the hurricane's coming and then you need to go to the store and then you don't have any food in your home. There's no food in the store. It's like, I'm not going to say everyone has to prep, you know, but you don't need to prep for doomsday. You just need to prep for today. It's like, there's no food in the store. What are you going to do? The shelters are closed. What are you going to do? The highways are full of traffic. What are you going to do? It's like, but how much more in spiritual things? We're not prepared. Like the, the, the 12 virgins, you know, the, those who had oil and those who didn't have oil. How much worse it is to not be prepared for spiritual things in life. You know, uh, for time, I won't read the whole thing, but in Matthew 7, Jesus talks about entering at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be which go in there. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads into life, and few there are that find it. And he talks about good trees and bad trees, and it's talking about false prophets, and this is how we're going to know a false prophet. But few there are that actually find the right way. And I think even in Christianity, few there are that find the right way. You know, you go to churches and things and see these things and the message and what they're teaching. It's like, is that the narrow way? Is that the way that Jesus is, is really advocating we would go? Do you even mention Jesus? And I think, like Jesus said in the scripture, we need to judge ourselves. And we need to judge those and really their message. I mean, we're not going to, you know... Paul's like, I don't care as long as the gospel's getting out. You know, he's going to mark a false teacher, but he's not going to condemn them to death. That's, that's God's deal. But we really need to judge their message. Is the message coming out of my mouth? Is the message coming out of the mouth of the person you're listening to, whether it's Oprah or Dr. Phil or Joel Osteen? You know, I hope you're not listening to any of those. But the people we allow to speak into our lives, physically, mentally, spiritually, most importantly, we need to judge the message. Is this message really from God? Like, be a Berean about it. Search the scripture. Especially because these last days are full of false prophets. Like, we left to Maryland for barely two years. We come back, and I feel like the cults have multiplied. Like, it's not our fault or anything, I don't think. But, you know, like, sincerely, what happened? You know, was it like New York gave tax breaks to cults or something? I don't know. But 1 Peter 4, 17, 18 says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. I remember Bob shared this a while ago at church, and it says, If it first begins at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner repair? That judgment is coming, guys, whether we like it or not. No matter what we do, God's judgment is coming on the earth. Um, and it needs to start in the church. It needs to start with us. We need to be ready for it. We need to, it's much better now if we know it's coming, to look in our lives now and say, okay, if you're trying to evacuate, right, what am I really going to pack? What do I really need in my bag? What do I not need in my bag? What do I really need in my life? Is this thing in my life, should it be in my life? If judgment is coming, should this really be here? You know, it's time, guys, that the great falling away, the great apostasy that the Bible talks about, Jesus said is going to happen, is going on right now. How many Christian artists have I seen in the past year fall away? who got saved and were doing great things, but then they get fallen away by the woo of the world. Or how many other Christian artists who are still writing music claim that there is something that's completely unbiblical or get involved in things that you go, you're really advocating that? That's like stuff that's like totally emergent or unscriptural. Worse than that, you know, how many believers just aren't walking in the faith that think they are, they go to church every Sunday, they do the church thing, but aren't ready. Their candles aren't lit. Their oil's not packed up. That when the day of judgment comes, will they be ready? I don't know. It's not good enough to say, oh, well, they accepted the Lord six years ago, or they were walking for a while. What about today? Not that we're saved by our works, or that we have to hang on and get in the whole Calvinism or Armenianism, but really, we need to warn each other, like the Bible says, while it's called today, so that we're not deceived by the deceit, the hard, so that we're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need to take into judgment of these things because if we don't, we're either going to be judged now or judged later. If we're judged now, obviously it's under grace. Obviously it's sanctification. But if we're judged later, I mean, the best that can happen is we lose our reward in heaven and we just get to go to heaven. And the worst that can happen is, well, maybe we never knew him. 
Maybe we never knew him. And I think we all know him in this room. But 2 Thessalonians 2. Um, let me turn there real quick. You know, it's like you got a wound, right? When I cut my arm on my angle grinder, brand new angle grinder, brand new angle grinder person, I cut my arm at it, and I made a judgment. I need to go to the hospital. I made that judgment right quick. Not before I sat there and bled out. <laughs> you know, but imagine, I didn't go to the hospital. Imagine you got infected, you know. How long, how much longer am I going to wait to make the, the right judgment call before judgment comes and they have to cut off my whole arm? The second Thessalonians 2 says, Verse 3, let's say, uh, Let no one deceive you by any means that that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, uh, the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all and is called God or that is worship. So he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself, not God really, but he shows himself that he's God. Uh, Do you not remember that when I was still with you I told these things, and now you know that is what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time? Uh, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the law is going to be revealed. The Holy Spirit is restraining. The Holy Spirit is doing a work through the church and through believers. But I feel like that work is waning because believers are waning. Because believers are unwilling to allow God to do the work. And God's obviously still working. And we can't really, you know, I don't want to get in the whole argument. Can we stop, can we stop God? God's still going to work. It's just we're not a part of what God's doing, I think, a lot of times. But that day is going to come, like. God, the Holy Spirit's not going to strive with man, like God said. And that day is coming, and the Holy Spirit's like, I've said all that I can say. I've done all that I can do in your life. I've allowed everything I can allow in your life, and you're just not going to choose me. So now's the time for judgment to begin. So hopefully you'll get my attention when, like Chicken Little says, the sky is falling. Because you didn't listen to the Word, you didn't listen to the church, you didn't listen to the conviction. You know, I think today that Christians... But this great falling away, how do we fall away? It's because they're swayed too easily by what we feel is right. Like someone in a hurricane, you know, oh, it's not too windy yet. But if you're not batting down the hatches, if you're not got your feet planted, you're going to get swayed and eventually blown over and blown away, and you're going to fall away. And I think a lot of times with Christians, we, we do that by what the world says is right. Not even by what other Christians or what we hear at church or in the Bible in our own time of glory, but... What the world is saying is right. And the world can't make up its mind of what's right and wrong. Every day there's a new right and wrong. Every day they've got something else they're mad about. And I think we're getting completely wrapped up and caught up and ultimately dragged down by the things that the Bible clearly teaches against. And we do so in the name of love, quote-unquote, or tolerance, quote-unquote. But it's not love. It's not tolerance to let someone go to hell. It's not tolerance to, oh, well, it's a, if you think having an infection is all right, well, I'll tolerate that. I'll tolerate the stench. No, I'm not. Bro, go to the doctor, you know? Like, do something about it. And I'm the last one who wants to go to the doctor. And if something's bad enough, I'll tell you to go to the doctor. I'll tell myself to go to the doctor. After I've suffered for a while. You know, but, like, there was a sign outside the church yesterday where uh, my friends got married, and it said, no hate here. And that's great. I, I, I appreciate the sentiment, but... What they're really saying is a political statement that, you know, there's no hate here. We can't, you know, all these other things that are going on in the world that the world is labeling as hate, but it's not necessarily hate. And I'm not going to get into it, but we can sit down and talk about it later if you want. Because, you know why? It's okay and it's good to have righteous judgment about things. To say things are right and wrong. um, To declare a spade a spade. To say the hard things when it's in love. Because if we love someone, we're going to tell them the truth, right? If I, if I love my kids, I'm going to tell them, don't drink the Drano. That's going to kill you. In fact, I don't even let them near the Drano. I lock it up. I put it outside. I throw it out. I, you know, I do whatever it is to keep them as far away from it as possible. But love also does the hard things. It also has to make righteous separation. You know, there's a time in my life when God told me to separate myself from a family member because God had to do work there in our relationship, but also in their relationship with him. And I'm not saying that I was the cause of that, but it was like, it was dragging me down. It was not, it was dragging my family. It was like this whole mess. And God had to work in it, and God brought it back. God brought us back together, and it's better than ever. But if that didn't happen, there wouldn't be a good relationship today, I don't think. But there has to be righteous separation. Just like when people get married, they're righteously separating themselves from every other relationship, that they might be of a righteous separation unto each other. And I think we'll soon see... You know, imagine 
Noah lets the wicked people on the boat. That God shuts the door and Noah says, no, 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 God, let's open the door. Let's be loving. Let's be tolerant. Let's let these people in. They're drowning, God. They're crying, God. They're an angry mob, God. They're demanding their way, God. Let's let them in. Let's let them have their way. And he opens the door that God had shut. What would they have done? Okay. They would have knocked stuff over in the ark. They would have eaten the food. They would have eaten the animals. Perhaps they would have rioted on board, thrown Noah overboard, said, we don't want you captain, we'll be captain. You're not our captain. I didn't vote for you. He caused the boat to capsize. Maybe they would have hurt his family. You know, the possibilities are endless, just as endless as the evening news. But God wouldn't let that happen. God shut the door and he shut them out for a reason. And we need to do that first within the church, like I said, because judgment is coming one way or another. And I'm not saying to hate people, I'm just saying to make righteous judgment. I'm not saying that immigration is wrong, I'm just saying there should be some law to it that's followed. We can't just willy-nilly ignore laws. Make new laws and follow those laws, fine, whatever, figure it out. But you can't just throw stuff out and throw law out just because we feel like it, because that's lawlessness. And then what else are we going to throw out? What else is going to happen? But judgment is coming one way or another. And, you know, I was, I was born here, but, my, you know, Irish came here in the 1800s. I'm not, I don't want you to get the wrong impression of what I'm saying here. But judgment is coming one way or another. And I think the church, which shouldn't be around for that final judgment of God, for the tribulation, for the final judgment, we should be raptured, we should be in heaven, we should get a free pass from that because... We believe that Jesus took our judgment, right? If it's going to be, we're going to be, rather, the church is going to be around for that. If it doesn't judge itself now, read Revelation. See what God says to the churches. Like, get your act together, or you're going to be in trouble. You know, like, I believe, you know, I, I don't want to get too, again, dogmatic about these things, but it's almost like, well, is some of the church going to be raptured? And the rest of the church, that's the so-called church that didn't believe and didn't obey God, are they going to be around? You know, like, I don't know how that's going to look. But you read Revelation, you kind of go, hmm, maybe. What is, it, what is it really saying here, you know? And again, don't take that as gospel truth, but let's keep going. We're not going to get all the way through. We'll just get through uh, this and that. We've been going, what, 45, 50 minutes at least. But again, the church, if God's going to judge the world, guys, we need to be ready for it. And really, uh, Romans 1, 28, 29, and 31 and 32 says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, de uh, debate, deceit, uh, malignity, whisperers, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, immersible, who knowing the judgment of God, the day which commits such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but in pleasure in them, I do them. It's like, maybe I don't do the sin that, that they do, but I'll go be an advocate for you. I'll go put a flag on my business, or I'll go march in a parade, or I'll say, whatever it is that's going on. That's what it's saying. Maybe they're not committing the sin, but they're just as guilty because they know the righteous judgment of God, and they approve of the things that others are doing that the righteous judgment of God is, is coming for. And who better knows the judgment of God, the cross of Christ, than the church? And those who think they're the church. You know, I think that the West largely has known about the Bible, about the truth, and the church for 2,000 years. And the West is now totally rejecting it. The West is now totally wanting anything above it. And I think it's begun in the church. The church is the one who wanted something else than the cross of Christ. The church is the one who wanted what the world had. The church is the one who has begun to take the world and put it in the church with the excuse of trying to attract the world to the church? No. Maybe that's what you're saying on the outside, but what the real heart motive, I believe, is, is that the church wants to be like the world. They don't want the world to like the church. The church wants to be like the world. The church wants to look like the world, to act like the world, to be as cool like the world. And again, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having like a concert atmosphere at church necessarily. Necessarily, I'm not going to make draw a black or white line on that. But for me, a lot of that can be a distraction. For me, in the season I'm at right now, I prefer simple worship. I prefer worship like where it's just one person or even just a couple of people. But whatever the case may be, if that worship is about Jesus and Jesus alone and seeking him first and all those other things are added, fine. But I think a lot of times all those other things aren't added on top of that. They're put in place instead of seeking the Lord first. You know, I had a, a 
devotional, I guess it was yesterday or the day before, about when we decide to do things for the Lord, when a good opportunity or an idea comes up, we can jump on it and do it right away. Instead of letting our service to the Lord be under the discipline of the Lord. I don't mean the discipline of you've done something wrong under discipline, but I mean like self-control and discipline and say, is this what God would really have you done? Is this what God would really have me be involved with? And it says that it takes time. Sometimes it takes a long time. That ministered to me a lot because it's like, you know, you sit around and you consider things that God has for you and maybe it doesn't look like you're doing anything, but you're, you're taking your time to make sure that what you're doing is what God would have you do. I, we don't need to be in a rush. God's going to do what he wants to do, and we just need to be on board of it. But I think a lot of times we do so much, and we hurry so much, and we do so much, and God's not in it because we never step back to see what God was really wanting to do. And we see churches that are full of program, like it says in Revelation, you have a name that you have life, but you don't have it. Like Jesus said to the Pharisees, isn't it? You search the scriptures thinking you have life, but you miss me. When we come to church, when we gather together, when we are the church, we should be seeking what God would say to us. We should be seeking what God would speak to us on a daily basis when we're together. We're not just coming to church. Oh, I'm going to come to church today. I'm going to sing a couple songs. Oh, that was a good message. And, you know, maybe we'll share some things, fellowship things. Not that those things are, are bad necessarily, but the core of it should be we want to hear from God. We want to spend time from God. And it doesn't matter what it looks like on top of that. Because that's what it means to judge things. To say, God, what is your judgment in my life? What is your decision for my life? What is your... What do you want me to be doing? This looks like the right thing to be doing, God, but is it really the right thing to be doing? Is my motive really right to be doing this? Is it what you need? Maybe it's a good thing, and maybe God's doing some, a work there, but maybe God you want me somewhere else. You know, God's a great builder, right? And God's made each of us uh, uh, a stone in his temple, so to speak. And each of us are a temple of God. But if he's building us together as a body, you know, you want to make sure that the foundation stones go on the foundation. You want to make sure that the, you know, the ceiling tile goes on the ceiling. You know, you want to make sure everything's put in its right place. Otherwise, you know, it's like, it's not going to work. It's not going to hold up when, when the wind comes, when the storm comes. Like, same thing, it's like, God, you know what? I think I'd be better, better with two left hands, you know? Like, maybe I'd be better with two left feet. Maybe I have two left feet, God, and I can't dance. I don't know what it is. But it's how often do we try and do that in our own lives? God, no, no, no. I, I belong over here, God. Or I should be doing this, God. Or I need to be doing this, God. And God's like, you're foot. What are you trying to do the nose's job? You can't smell. There's no way in all of creation that a foot is ever going to smell anything. And yet we walk around like, in that silly picture, trying to do that. And we wonder why we don't see God moving. We wonder why we don't hear God speaking. Because he never said to go over there and do that. He's got something else for it. I think that's why we need to slow down. We need to wait on him. We need to see what, what he's got for each one of us. Because at the end of the day, if we don't judge it now, it's going to be judged later. God's going to go, I didn't actually do any of that. None of this was for me or by me. And It's not like God's going to be mad that we did chores without him. It's just that. Don't we want to spend time with him? Isn't that what this is all about, knowing God? Isn't that what church is really about? It's about knowing God. And when we know God, we'll bring others to know Him. I think the church today has become, and I'm not saying specifically any church or body, but I think the body as a whole has become so divided and so lost and so caught up in program and business and spectacle that we miss God. And God goes, I want to show you my grace. I want to speak to you. I want to use you. I want to do something in these last days, but I'm just going to have to take you out of here. I don't want that to be the case. I don't want to miss God while we're here. I don't want to just coast through life and do church. As God would say, I want to be the church. I want to be his body. I want the body to be the body. It pains me. It breaks me to see the body. And we're closing here. We've got my soapbox in a minute. It pains me to see the church not be the church. To see believers sit in pews or chairs or whatever trendy chair they have in the church these days, whatever the pew of 2017 is. And not realize, like you were sharing before, could be know that God loves them. That Christianity isn't just for the people behind the piano or behind the music stand or whatever they're behind. But that that's just a part of it. That's a part of the body. But the people who are in the chairs are going to do more work. It's like a sergeant in the military. James and I were talking about this. It's like 
who's throwing more lead downrange? Is it the sergeant who's got one gun, or is it his platoon who's got the guns and the missiles and the bazookas? And we just have, we have to use it. And I think the church either doesn't know or doesn't believe or hasn't received that they're loved by God. And when they're loved by God, they can do whatever. Uh, it's been said, you know, love God and do whatever you want. If you love God, yes, you can go share with that person. Yes, you can have people over your house. Yes, you can pray for someone at the gas station. Yes, you can be involved in ministry. Maybe you won't have a title. Maybe there's a long season that has to happen. Maybe there's learning. Maybe there's discipleship. And I'm going to read it as we close here. If I have it. Let me have it. Jesus came and spoke to them. He's saying, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. In Matthew 28. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. In Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. It says, because all power is given unto me into heaven and earth, you therefore go. That the body of Christ is sitting around and doesn't know what to do, doesn't know how to do it. And I think more importantly than that, maybe we know how to do it. We've all been taught so much over the past 50 years through great movements like Calvary and things. But maybe we don't know that God loves us. And that because God loves us, you can do it. You must do it. That's what God has for you. It's what he planned for you before the foundations of the earth. And it doesn't have to be a program. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to have church approval. It's not his approval. And I'm not saying that there's not accountability or that you need to be involved or, you know, I'm not going off on that. Like, just go be a lone wolf. I'm just saying you're free to be who God wants you to be and you're free to minister by his spirit. And he's given you the, the ability to already. You know, I don't have any talents, God. You've got plenty. You've got plenty. And don't, and don't believe the lie that you don't. Because God, God didn't make you useless. He didn't make you useless. And I think the church thinks that they're useless. Maybe we, maybe we feel useless, but you're not. And I think as we step out of that, we'll see that God's got plenty of use for you. And in all that, it's, it's not even about the use. It's just about knowing how much he loves you. Amen? So God, God, you're good. And the fact that you're even here with us, in us, is amazing. Lord, uh, mold us together as your body. Use us for your kingdom. God, in all that, let us not miss you. Let us walk with you and be in step with you. Like Enoch, like Noah, we're just ready to hear from you and know how much we need you. God, thank you for everyone here and the lives that are around us. God, use us in that. Wherever long you would have us and the places we are at, let us be faithful for your, for your kingdom. That, God, whatever happens, God, would be for you. And uh, we could just step away and go, I don't need to even have anything to worry about that because I know that I'm going to do what God's called me to do and, and God, you're going to do it. It's yours, God. We love you and thank you for that. Remind us of these things this day and this week. In Jesus' name.